0: This week on Honey, You Should Watch This, I watched Network, and I promise, Mr. Jensen I didn't mess with the primal forces of anything. I don't even like nature. Good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. This is the first episode of the podcast. Honey, you should watch this. My name is Greg. I'm here with my wife.
1: Hi, my name is Susan.
0: And we have a podcast here that uh, we're going to start doing. Apparently, we've both talked about this, and we we're, we're excited we're doing about it.
1: We're we're doing it now. Oh, right? we're doing it now. Yeah, right now.
0: We're, who who pressed the record button?
1: Y- you're 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 at the controls, babe.
0: Oh, okay. So why don't you uh, let everybody in on what we're going to do here?
1: Okay. Uh, basically, the um, concept of the show is that um, my husband and I, um, while we have very similar tastes sometimes in movies and entertainment, there are times when they go far and away from each other. He likes um, bang, bang, shoot-em-up sci-fi action movies. Um, Sometimes little bro-y comedies. um, What guy doesn't. Yes, exactly. So guy movies. Um, I like movies from the 50s and the 60s. I like horror movies, um, documentaries, and um, the occasional rom-com. So we decided that in order for us to understand each other's taste um, and maybe appreciate them a little bit more, that we would do this podcast where one of us chooses the movie and the other one watches it, and then we discuss it.
0: Yeah. I mean, to be clear, I do like most movies. But if I'm given a choice between Avengers Endgame and To Kill a Mockingbird, <laughs> chances, <laughs> chances are pretty good that Avengers Endgame is going to go in the DVD player. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: did not mean to snort in the microphone. Oh, that's all right. It's, it's going it's
0: <laughs> to happen. Just go ahead and get used yeah. to it.
1: <laughs> Sorry, people.
0: This uh this podcast started because I am on another podcast with with a, a good friend of mine yes. and um th- a- if anybody of you listen it's called Top Five for Fighting and uh, we have a good time but my wife is the marketing angel for that podcast and she's the only reason that anybody knows who we are and she really really enjoys her guest spots on the other podcast and I- but it's 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 guy based it's you know there's a lot of stuff in there that that me and my co-host talk about and it, she just it's just not her. It's not her area of expertise. And it's not my jam, people. And <coughs> she came to me one day and she said, "If you don't let me do my own podcast with you, I'm not going to do the marketing." <laughs> the look on her face right now is priceless. <laughs> Liar! No, it, 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 that is that, Liar. is that is a complete lie. She just really wants she she enjoys this style of conversation and, and interaction, and I wanted to do it with her because she's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Aww. Aww. So now that I've made you all vomit, let's move forward with our podcast today.
1: Okay. Um, but you you wrote a little theme song, right?
0: <laughs> I have a penchant for writing songs that should never be heard by anybody. Any humans ever. Any humans ever. Um, some of them are not suitable for adults.
2: And <laughs> uh, I, I made one last And some night animals.
0: In the shower for some reason. Um, I was just thinking to myself. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was belting out some Frankie Valley while I was taking a shower. And I um, was doing a terrible job at it. And uh, I came up with the song and I sang it for her. And now she's going to make me sing it. So um, please forgive my horrid voice. But it goes a little something like this. It's a podcast of love. Now shut up and watch what I tell you to. There you go. Yay! Yay, yeah. You guys can skip that part if you want. <laughs> All right, so the premise of the show is, is that we pick a movie each week. One of the other of us picks a movie that the other person has to watch. So um, what was it this week?
1: This week I picked 1976's Network. Um, it is a mer- an American satire film, a satirical film. Uh, It's written by Patty Shefsky, and directed by Sidney Lumet. Uh, It is about a fictional television network um, called UBS that is struggling with poor ratings. It stars Faye Dunaway, William Holden, Peter Finch, and Robert Duvall. It also features Wesley Addy, an amazing performance by Mr. Ned Beatty, and Beatrice Strait.
0: And why did you pick this movie for me to watch?
1: I picked this movie um, for a couple reasons. Um, I had seen it before um, and thought it was fairly important because you see the, the one um, and most famous scene used time and again throughout pop culture. Um, in fact, uh, we are in the Tampa Bay area and um, during rallies they used to uh, play a bunch of clips that were... Movie clips that were supposedly motivational and this uh, the I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore was one of them.
0: Yeah, for the temp- for the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, if they were down and going into the bottom of the ninth, they would play a lot of things like, uh, ironically, uh, us, you know, um, Rocky, Burgess Meredith, get mm-hmm. up and uh, do this. And, and they would use the line. Now I want everybody to get up on your feet. They didn't use the mad as hell line, but mm-hmm. they would use the get up on your feet. Right. So you're right. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Nice nice pull.
1: Um, But uh, one of the major reasons was um, with the recent release of Joker, um, it is uh, a lot of people are, you know, pointing to Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy um, as inspiration um, for some of the scenes in this film. Um, But I also see a lot of network in it as well, um, where you have... um, Someone trying to take advantage of somebody's uh, poor mental state for ratings. So, yeah,
0: the second half of the third act of, of Joker yeah. is like pulled from network script directly.
1: So, I thought it would be important for you to watch it. So, when you talked about it on Top Five for Fighting, shameless plug, um, that you would have that um, in your wheelhouse as well.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what were your thoughts going into this movie?
1: Well, I have seen it before, um, so my thoughts were, is it as I remember it, okay. um, and you know, is it going to hold up? I mean, last time in 1998, and that's when the AFI first came out with their top 100 films list, um, and my first husband, my late husband, um, and I decided we were going to try to watch as many as we possibly could, um, and network, ended up being one of the films that we did watch. Um, so that's basically what I was going in for. What did you think? What did you think this film was going to be about going in? Did you know what this film was?
0: I knew a little bit about it, but I did not realize it was... um, I I thought it was about just a, a TV station that was being underhanded. I didn't realize it was about what it actually is about. I knew that there was some... Life-changing issues that were going to go down. I, I mean, I knew I knew that Frank Beal, spoilers, gets killed at the end. Um, you know, little little things. I didn't realize that it was a satire to the level that it is, and I didn't realize that it was um, as spot-on as it is.
1: Yeah, a lot of a lot of people, if you if your um, film critics uh, critics are now saying this movie was is oddly prophetic. Um, to talk a little bit more about, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, here's the spoiler-free summary even though Greg did give a spoiler away. But it's 1976, so if you haven't seen it yet, oh well.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen this movie yet, you haven't wanted to see this movie yet, so it's not like we're telling you what happens in Zombieland Double Tap.
1: So um, the cent- central point of action in this movie um, that kind of gets the ball rolling is um, you've got a failing, news, uh, failing network um, with a, a, an older anchor um, named Howard Beale, played by um, Peter Finch, um, who is going to get canned, basically. His boss, Max Schumacher, played by William Holden, um, tells him that he is going to be out of a job in two weeks. Um, with not much left in his life, um, Finch um, muses uh, that he might just kill himself on air.
0: And, and, to, to, and to be more detailed, not to cut you off, his wife had just passed a few months, a yes. couple weeks before. I think No I kids. Can't remember. I can't remember exactly how long it was, but he just lost his wife, too. So right, he, he was already in a, an alcoholic pit.
1: Yeah. He was. He had no kids, not nothing I, really else to live for other than his job. Um, which,
0: which one of the things I found super humorous was as we're going through the very beginning where they're setting this up, the guy's got at 10 o'clock in the morning, he's got bourbon in his hand. Max or, Schumacher. Or, yes, yeah, or something.
1: He, <laughs> he's literally
0: doing his whole day of prep for the news come into America nice clean and he's just lit yeah. so
1: yeah um, so basically this starts um, P- Peter's uh, Peter Finch's characters slide into um, basically a, a, a mental breakdown and he starts acting oddly on the air um, Schumacher finds out that... Um, His division is not immune um, from potential uh, corporate interference, so he gets upset and allows him to be on the air. Um, And in comes this very ambitious uh, programming programming executive, Diana Christensen, played by Faye Dunaway, um, who decides she's going to take advantage of this because she wants controversy. She wants people tuning in, and she wants ratings. Um, Very, very driven person, and she manages to get that. Um, and he ends up being um, highlighted with a bunch of other um, eccentrics and um, also, you know, uh, terrorist groups as well, because she also cre- creates a, a terrorist uh, TV show um, with the fictional ecumenical Liberation Army um, on the air to get that sensational ratings, and things just go sliding downhill from there.
0: The first... T- 15 minutes of this movie set the tone and um, I was surprised at how funny I thought how funny I found it. The scene the very beginning it shows the two guys drunk and being the type of people that they get angry about later in the movie discussing about how we could you know we could have terrorist of the week murder of the week you know and, and joking about it. But, I mean, we're really more ourselves when we're drunk than we are when we're sober because it's just all open. But I thought it was extremely funny when uh, William Finch, uh, when when Beasley goes on, Beale goes on to the air and says, I'm going to kill myself in two weeks. And nobody in the production room heard it. No, they,
1: they, they did they heard it they just didn't react to it they're like okay he's just said something on the air only
0: one person and he walks in he goes did you guys just hear this and, and they said what and he said they, he says he's going to kill himself on air and he goes no he didn't he's like yes he did they'd no, never say that yes he did i thought that was and, and from right there i knew the rabbit hole that we were going to go down i i very dark and humorous at the same time
1: yeah definitely definitely Let's talk about the central conflict of this whole film. Um, You have old school journalism, Max Schumacher, that's represented by Max Schumacher, presumably focused on getting to the truths, the facts, making this about the news and not sensationalizing it. He's a 1950s anchor, newsman that's kind of come up through the ranks. A
0: Walter Cronkite Cronkite clone.
1: Something like that. I'll
0: say his name right one day.
1: Clunkly? Clunkly. What would you do for a clunkly? Blarkly. Bar? And Your. then you have Diana Christensen, who's younger. Um, Schumacher calls her at one point part of the TV generation that grew up on Bugs Bunny.
0: Not a news person.
1: Not a news person. A She's person. entertainment. She's all about the entertainment value, sensationalism, and ratings. Uh, The two of them basically um, are at odds with each other, but then also get romantically, if you want to call that, romantically involved throughout this film.
0: It's hard to use that word, but okay.
1: But Max is in the process of kind of, if he hasn't lost part of his soul already, he's going to throughout this film. Because in the beginning, he is the only one that's really standing up um, for Howard Beale saying, this man is sick and this man needs help. You cannot exploit this. You cannot do this. Yet he continues to hang around.
0: Yes, but remember there is the scene in the office when Max is packing up his stuff because he's been let go. Mm-hmm. And then they decide to let um, Beale continue to be on the air. And he looks at him and says, why would you want to do this? And Beale says, because I'm on TV. And then Max says, okay. So he's really... Do you want to do this? Yeah, he's kind of there... At, at this point you, you can't stand up for somebody and prevent them from doing something they want to do if you want to stand up for him, you got to be there to support them. So I don't know that I, I see where you're coming from there. I don't know that he he I don't think he agrees with it but he's doing it because it's essentially keeping his friend alive at this point.
1: Okay so what did you think about the whole Max versus Diana and Max and Diana winter, fire affair
0: well I mean it may be too early to to say this but I think it's hard for someone uh, today in our generation or today today's world let's let's put it that way because generation doesn't matter in today's world to understand how things are around us to see a movie like this that happened 43 years ago and say wow that's really groundbreaking because what you're watching is now it was groundbreaking in 1976 because this just didn't happen. People put, you know, you had to sh- the shows you had on television were good quality entertainment that made people laugh. Things like MASH and uh, All in the Family. I mean, obviously pushed the borders a little bit, but you know, Family Feud and the things that were big back then were not controversial. TV was not a place where you went for controversy. Controversy. The the feud, and to me, it was set up brilliantly. Was they used the Diana character? As a man, she was essentially a man in this. But, I mean, she had boobs, so it it takes it it. it but that that's just it. If what, what Well, look at this movie. Look at this movie. If the Diana character had been a man, which most likely would have been the case in 1976.
1: Well, that that's the way that Shevsky was going with his script. It was going to be Max Schumacher versus this hot shot executive, and then he was going to have a love interest on the side. Right. And as he was writing, it occurred to him it really needed, those two things needed to be melded into one so that hotshot executive became the love interest. And,
0: and it wouldn't have been as good a movie then because she manipulated him with sex in the beginning. I mean fell in love is not the right word because there wasn't love. But she, she got him to go along with her because they went out to dinner and they had sex. That, that To me, that was where that he, he didn't want to go down that road, but then he's like, well Okay, let's go down that road. She didn't have a hard time getting him in the sack. I mean, he he was right along with it. But there was to me there was no there was no headbutting between those two until the very end when he decided, you know what, I can't I, I don't want to be a part of this anymore.
1: I just never saw them in this movie and this is the the problem that I have with this relationship between, you know, Max Holden's character and and Faye Dunaway's is there is a common thing that brings them together but there's no common ground for this relationship they, they always seem to be somewhere else even though they're with each other it's it's not it's not healthy for one it no. but it's not it, it as a as a viewer i found myself kind of scratching my head going why other than the fact that holden's been doing what he's been doing for so long in this film that he needs to be around it.
0: Whether whether you want to admit it or not, uh, the holding character, Max's character, uh, stands up and he tries to be you know, Superman for Beale and says, you know what, I'm not going to let him abuse him like this, I'm going to take care of him. But once the train starts rolling, now Max is in it because he wants to stay in it. He wants to stay at his job at this at this TV network. He knows he's coming up on the end, but he wants to continue to be popular and he wants to have his job. She wants the same thing he has. To me, they're using each other in a symbiotic relationship to, to do what they want to do and get where they want to go. But in the end, he is able to separate work from personal life and she is not. She has no personal life. Everything she does, as evidenced by the one sex scene they had where it, it was it was five minutes of the whole evening working up between dinner to the walk to the to the room, to the undressing, all she was talking about was, Oh, and they said we're gonna have a fifty two share and and she she orgasms talking about work, which, I, I I mean I wish I could do that because <laughs> <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't uh, have that much fun um, at work. <laughs> <laughs> but that's and, and that's that's how I see the relationship. I don't really see that they they hated each other or anything. I see I see that they used each other as as step to get to the top where they wanted to be.
1: Yeah, I I just I think that they were very just odd characters that were very. I mean, you could I think empathize with schumacher's character or schumacher a, a little bit more but he he wasn't clear on what he wanted either he he comes off as this realist but in in a lot of ways throughout this his his mannerisms and the way he talks and his speeches in this film uh he comes across as this romantic in terms of his romanticizing the story of it all
0: yeah He's um, not—he's not a romantic because when he's talking to his wife, telling her that he's going to leave her for the Diane character, he says, uh, "You know, maybe when I'm tired of her, we'll have a Cinderella story, and I can come back."
1: Well, he was That's telling a
0: typical 1976 white man.
2: <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> she was—you know—she's saying, "If I can't get your winter, you know, be inspire you to have a, a winter romance with me, then at least I require respect." And I think that she's the only character I think I can respect throughout this entire film. He in that scene that you're you're talking about when he was talking about Diana being of the Bugs Bunny generation and and that he was probably going to end up destroying she was probably going to end up destroying him. He tells the story that she has several different she being Diana has several different scenarios concocted for them as you know, that he will leave her and go back to his wife. And there's one version where, you know, it's more like Anna Karenina with him playing Anna. And it's, you never really see this a lot in the behavior of Diana. I think she tells maybe one or two stories where you can kind of see that coming, but I think that's all coming from him. He likes to tell stories, although he tells the same story twice. Yeah. Um, It's a good story, though. It is a good story, but you really wonder how much is depth is really there in this man either. And so it's a very confusing story, but to to go back to what you were saying, that whole romantic weekend scene, and I'm going to have to look it up and try to maybe put it in the show notes, but I can't remember who commented on this um, in doing some research before the show, but they said if you watch this scene, these scenes, and you don't have the soundtrack on, it looks like a very romantic getaway, but as soon as you turn on the sound, he's not talking in any of these scenes. He barely says a word.
0: That was from the unspooled podcast with. Uh,
1: yeah. Okay. It was from Unsp- Paul Shears unspooled. Unsp- Shear.
0: Yeah. And, um, unfortunately, I don't remember the young lady's name from the from the podcast. Yeah. Well, Amy, well, I think
1: Amy. Yeah, with Amy. You're, and, you're right. It looks like it looks like a beautiful, and it romantic. Looks like we're falling in love. Idyllic. Yes. It, it looks absolutely idyllic. And you turn on the sound, and she is just talking nonstop about work. How boring she, is this
0: weekend? She said something in that podcast that cracked me up about how they never even mentioned the food. <laughs> They're eating <laughs> steaks and drinking wine, and they don't even talk about the food. Damn them! My my um, first of all. There's absolutely nothing wrong, I don't care what he says, with being part of the Bugs Bunny generation because he's the greatest actor ever on film. Number two, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 to me, what I was saying, trying to say a little earlier was the plot twist, and it's not a plot twist, the, the plot device that Jeffsky uses here is the fact that if Diana character had been a man, the interaction between how all the stuff at the network went down mm-hmm. would have been completely different. Because the two men would not have been using each other to get where they wanted to go. And I don't think that was a plot device that was used a lot in that era because, let's face it, women were not looked upon as being smart enough to be in that position back then. And I'm not saying that to be derogatory. I'm just saying that that was a lot of... Uh, Max was, in this movie, let's say, he, he had to have been in his, in his 60s. All right, Which means that this guy was a kid in the, in the 20s or the 30s that was the mindset back then. The man goes to work, the woman stays home. So this that was also showing how the country was flip-flopping at that time to saying, you know what, there's no reason women can't do this job or we, women can't do this work. So that was a plot device to me that was brilliant that he put in there. It, and it, and it, it made the story what it was. If, that, if, it had been, if Diana's character had been a man, it, I think the story would have been below average.
1: Well, they also mention, uh, they mention a lot of current contemporary television movies um news stories in this piece um, and one of, one of them they do mention is mary tyler moore right which is the first female at in the workplace comedy where they're not just a secretary right she's right. she's she was in an independent career girl um i first i probably should say one of the first because i'm not 100 percent sure on that point but in my recollection and memory of growing up and watching these reruns, she was definitely set apart.
0: There were not very many comedies or shows on television in this era when this movie came out where the woman was the lead role. They were an important part or, or a large part of the role. I mean, even the Dick Van Dyke show, Mary Tyler Moore was in just about every scene that didn't involve him being at work, but the woman was not the focal point of the show. You're, you're right. There's, and, and if there were, if there was some, let us know because I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't remember any.
1: I don't remember the year that Hazel was out, but Hazel was one. Hazel um, the witch? No, Hazel the maid.
0: I'm kidding. Right, Bug Bunny reference. Oh. And Halloween reference because it's right around the corner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's it. But going back to what we what we wanted to say, because the scene, this that this romantic weekend scene is ultimately extremely funny especially, and it culminates in the sex, like a minute worth of sex where she's talking. And it reminded me, and we'll have to pull the clip, of the scene in Night at the Roxbury. Um, You know, amazing, you know, cinematic piece that that is. Um, There's a scene where Molly Shannon... Don't
0: you talk shit about Will Ferrell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Molly Shannon and Will Ferrell are in bed together, and... She's talking about, she's trying to marry him because she wants to be this businesswoman that owns this big store, and his dad owns the plant store, and her dad owns the lamp store, and they're going to combine it, and they're going to add furniture, and she's stalking, and she's getting more and more excited as she's, you know, riding on him, and she climaxes, and when, during the scene in Network, when she, when she, when Diana climaxes all I could think of is Ikea. That, That's so. funny.
0: How about we go to the clip?
1: Unless you want to make me less horny. No, that wouldn't be good. Look, here's what we do. First, we combine the stores, OK? And then we can add the furniture, you know? Recliners and uh, sofa beds and end uh, tables and uh, chairs. Oh, yes, cheers. And, uh. Ottomans. Yes, Ottomans. <laughs> ottomans. We're going to be bigger than Ikea. Home
2: Depot. Oh my God. Ikea. hi, 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 Ikea.
0: So, yeah, love me some Molly Shannon.
1: Yeah, she's a goddess.
0: She is. She's uh, so underrated as an actress. She, she's funny in everything she does, even if the movie is garbage. Which, let's be honest, Night at the Roxbury is pretty much garbage. But it's. But I love it watch. so. Well, there's, that's all right. There's a lot of garbage movies I like. So it doesn't matter. They don't all have to be Best Picture nominees to enjoy. <laughs> all
1: right, yeah, so we're, we're not as sophisticated as yeah, you know, we're making this, ourselves out to be. This me. is probably
0: the smartest we're going to sound through the first hundred episodes. Oh, <laughs> Cause when God. Because when I pull out Miami Vice. It's all over at that point.
1: Oh, no.
0: <laughs> okay, so we've talked about Diana Max a lot. There's a lot of other things in this movie that, that we would like to talk about. I think one of the ones I want to talk about the most is the, uh, the ecumenical. The interest. ecumenical. <laughs> Go ahead. I oh, gotta, no. Don't this put up.
1: this on me. The ecumenical liberation army.
0: Money grubbing commies is what they should have called them, because <laughs> that's what they were. This this th- plot thread cracked me up from the moment I saw it. Diane decides. Sh- Diana decides she wants to use actual footage from a bank robbery from this group of militants to get ratings, which is so 100% exactly what happens in our world right now. It's scary. But the plot line is she tries to strike a deal with this militant group to get them to do stuff in exchange for a cut of the money that the, ge- the TV generates. And when they start talking about the portion of the money that they're going to get, and, and the, the young lady who played the, the black character, the black lady character, and I'm sorry, I don't have her name right, up in front on. of me. She's, got a lot of, she's done a lot of good stuff she starts screaming at them about how you're not gonna fuck with my distribution costs. I laughed out loud because that is not what those groups were about at all, and I thought the fact they wrote it that way was hysterical.
2: Gross proceeds should consist of all funds the sublicensee receives, not merely the net amount permitted after payment to the sublicensee or distributor. We're not
3: sitting still for overhead charges, it's a cost prior to distribution.
2: Dog! Fuck with my distribution costs! I'm making a lousy $215 per segment. I'm already deficiting twenty five dollars a week with Metro. I'm paying Mars 10% off the top. And I'm giving this turkey ten thousand dollars per segment another five for this fruitcake. And Helen, don't start no shit with me about a piece again. I'm paying Metro 20% for all foreign and Canadian distribution. And that's after recruitment. The Communist Party's not going to see a nickel out of this goddamn show until we go into syndication. Oh, come
3: on, Lorraine. The party's in for 7500 a week production
2: expenses. I'm not giving this pseudo-insurrectionary sectarian a piece of my show. I'm not giving him script approval, and I sure as shit ain't cutting him in on my distribution charges. You fucking fascist! Did you see the film we made in the San Marino jail breakout demonstrating the rising up of the Seminole prisoner class infrastructure? You can blow the Seminole prisoner class infrastructure out your ass! I'm not knocking down my goddamn distribution charges! Man, give her the fucking overhead clause.
1: It is the actress Marlene Warfield uh, playing Laureen Hobbs, and she is a communist activist.
0: Who isn't really a communist activist, because if they were, money wouldn't be the issue. Yeah, and that it, was... It'd be about her getting her social justice issues that she wanted done, which yeah, I thought was hysterical.
1: A- absolutely hysterical. And then you had the group leader for the Ecumenical Liberation Army, Arthur Burghardt, who is the actor playing the great Ahmed Khan. And when you first see him, and um, other than in the, the clips that you see of the bank robbery, when you first meet him as a character, he's chowing down on Kentucky Fried Chicken.
0: Yeah, again, I'm going to steal something from the Unspooled podcast with Paul Shear. He was nervous about taking this role because he had done time in prison. He had done two years in prison, uh, and I can't remember what they said it was. It wasn't like murder. It was something something that you shouldn't have done two years in prison for. And he felt that if he took this role that it was going to out him with a bunch of his friends. So he said when they were doing the chicken, when they were eating the chicken, he actually smeared the chicken grease on his face to make himself more repulsive which I thought was p- pretty funny because when you watch this movie, he looks like he's enjoying that chicken.
1: <laughs> There's a YouTube um, channel called Cinema Tyler, and he does a two-part series on the acting in this movie, and he talks about Arthur and his performance. And he was a vegetarian. He didn't eat meat. So I'm he sorry. Would <laughs> he would have to put the chicken in his mouth and during the scene and then spit it out in between takes and try to wipe his mouth down to get the get everything out. And by the time they ran out of chicken, somebody's like, Well, just put some paper towels in your mouth or something. So it's it's pretty pretty funny that he See, committed that, makes, that much to the role. To that makes
0: me <laughs> sad because in nineteen seventy six, that's when Kentucky fried chicken was really good. <laughs> All right.
1: Um, so, yeah, that was, I mean, this movie has been, I, I think I've said it before, was, a lot of people say this was really prophetic. Like, this was, you know, ushering in, or at least not ushering in, but, but basically pointing to the craziness that we saw on TV, especially in the, the late 80s and the 90s and the, you know...
0: This this movie is a precursor to how everything takes every er, everybody will take everything to make money mm-hmm. and go and to the extremes. Cap- capitalism is not a bad thing, but it is when you abuse it. And you know, the, the, I think what they're looking at here is you're supposed to take the news mm-hmm. and you're supposed to give me the news. You're not supposed to give me the news with your opinion because that's not news. That's edit, that's that's editorial comment. You're supposed to tell me that A robbed B at time C. Not a well, you know, he's down on his luck, and you don't don't make me feel sorry for the guy. Just tell me what happened. Um, I love, I love the scenes with uh, Ned Beatty, who is, yeah. a, a, you know, I say he's an underrated actor because when people talk about great actors, his name never comes up. But I've never seen this guy in a bad role. I mean, even in Stroker Ace, which was an awful movie, he was amazing. He's just he's just good. Like uh, one of the most bombastic, incredible scenes I've ever seen in a movie, to be honest with you. When he's talking about you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. If you guys, if you don't want to watch this movie, you need to go watch that scene because it was uh, it was pretty incredible. He says, I can't believe I worked on a movie for one day and I got nominated for a uh, Best Supporting Actor. I think he had like three or four minutes of screen time. Said, never turn down a small role. Never turn down a small role. And he absolutely nailed it. And he was... He was, to me, the, he was the bad guy in this movie. He was the bad guy.
1: Yeah, he wanted to get, because when everybody else was saying, God, he's tanking, he's tanking, we need to take him off the air, he's like, no, he's preaching my religion. You keep him on.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was.
2: You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. Is that clear? you think you merely stopped a business deal? That is not the case. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars out of this country, and now they must put it back. It is ebb and flow, tidal gravity. It is ecological balance. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems, one vast and immanent, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars, petrodollars, electrodollars, multidollars, Reichmarks, rims, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is the natural order of things today. That is the atomic and subatomic and galactic structure of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Am I getting through to you, Mister Beale?
0: That scene uh, that, cause, that causes Beale to meet the Ned Beatty character when he gets the when he gets the he gets dressed down. I thought it was funny because they're they're all talking about how Beale is on TV and he's this prophet, and he's spewing all this crazy stuff, right? That episode, he wasn't spewing crazy stuff. He was talking absolute truth. The Saudi Arabians are going to buy an American TV company, blah, 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 blah. And that's when the proverbial shit hit the fan. Everybody at the network starts flipping out because it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't be telling people what's going on. You're supposed to be out here feeding them full of lies and fairy tales and ponytails and all (laughs) pixie dust. And he, he actually comes on the air and gives real news. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, get, get your ass over here. We got to talk. Uh, that that was a, the second funniest part of the movie. Oh yeah,
1: I mean, the sensationalism is great up until the point where you start messing with my my purse. Basically, right, don't right. don't be messing with my wallet. Um, I, I think a lot of this too is really pointing to like you know the advent of, of shows like Jerry Springer and and the the crazy sensational stuff oh, that they would do. Yeah, you know, um, absolutely. Uh, you know your your baby daddy, and all that stuff. And
0: Sensationalism sells. I mean, look at TMZ.
1: Oh yeah, it, it craziness. That's, that's what it is. Bad bad TV.
0: So it, we've yeah. really kind of covered all the plot of this movie, with the exception of how dark the next to last scene of this movie is. We oh, You yeah. have Robert Duvall, uh, who was again, Robert Duvall, just an uh, amazing actor. I mean, he took a he was good in a piece of crap like Days of Thunder for God's sakes. He, um, he, they're sitting there in this room talking about how are we going to fix this because the network wanted Frank Beal on the network. But everybody that was at the TV station saw the writing on the wall that Frank Beal was going to end up ruining the TV station because his ratings were dropping. And they're talking about how can we fix this. And somebody just straight up says, huh, <laughs> let's kill him. And they were all like, oh, my God, that's a great idea. What the hell just happened in this room? It was so dark because not a single one of them looked like they had any pity or remorse on their ha- on their face the that only, they had just decided to kill the thing that had made them what they were.
1: The only protest about it was not a moral protest; it was a protest of "We are talking about committing a federal crime here."
0: Yeah, yeah. That's what if we get caught.
1: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And you know, as soon as as soon as it's brought up. Um, You know, Bobby Duvall, um, who we love Bobby. Bobby. We love Bobby. Um, He looks at the Diana character and basically says, how do you want to do this? I mean, it's on her shoulders, and she doesn't miss a beat. She starts tying together with, like, we can have the the Ecumenical Liberation Army kill him, and then that will kind of tie into a show, and that will lead us into the second season just boom 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 no thought to there's a human being behind this and when we get to the scene where he is assassinated where Beale is assassinated you basically get the camera rolling in to get a close-up of his shot and it's a kind of a god's eye shot it's right right down on him and it's almost like he's being run over by the whole thing
0: oh well he is I think the only thing in the movie I didn't understand is why at the end did they have the two people? Who were the two people? Obviously, one was the great Ahmed, but who was the other person that acted? And did both of them shoot him and were both of them sent there by Diane?
1: I think that's a good question. And I thought about that myself because I rewatched that scene the other day. I think they were both there. I think they were both coming from redundancy. Redundancy. You just make sure, double tap it, right? I got
0: gotcha. you. Another one of the scenes that I found very funny um, in this movie was there's several scenes where he's going on his rant on his big stages, um, and he he passes out. One of the scenes where he passes out at the end. If you notice, Sidley Lumet framed this scene perfectly because they pull the camera back so that you can see all the um, – uh, Foley artists is the only word that comes to mind. All the people that are working on the set, all the employees, they – Give two shits about Beale passed out on the stage. They're over behind the cameras, ramping the crowd yeah. Get the into it's a, a sound furor. cue. Let's yeah, go. Let's go. Where's the applause? That's song? your applause and you're button. Like, wow, and, and it kind of <laughs> hits you that like, wow, they really did just.
1: They don't give they, a like, shit they about, they this about
0: this guy. They don't about um, this guy. They don't. So funny. Uh, okay. They
1: don't. They don't. Um, let's talk a little bit about the 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 famous scene. Do no. you want to? Do you want to cue up that that?
3: Get up, go to your windows, open them, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Things have got to change. How many first, stations does this go out? You've got to get right? mad. Six, 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 say, I know I'm it goes to Louisville and Atlanta. We're not going to take this anymore. Then we'll figure out what to do about the Depression and the inflation and the oil crisis. But first, get up out of your chairs, open the window, stick your head out and yell, and say, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not
2: going to take
0: this anymore. Even if you've never seen the movie, you know that line. It's, it's, mm-hmm. an, it's an iconic line in American film history. In film history, period. Not just American film history. So, uh, I think we've beat the plot to death. I think we've given our, our highlights. I have a couple questions that I would like to ask you. This movie was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. And it won four. Uh, Peter Finch won for Best Actor. Faye Dunaway won for Best Actress. Beatrice Strait, who played Max's wife, won for Best Actress in a Supporting Role um, and I think has still set the record for s- l- shortest length of time on film to win the award. And Patty Sh- Sh- Shayefsky won for Best Writing. It was nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated for another Best Actor. William Holden and, and Finch were both nominated. It was a- a nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Ned Beatty. Best Director Sidney Lumet, Best Cinematography Owen Roizman, and Best Film edit- Editing Alan Heim. When you watch this movie, do any of those awards that they won justify winning?
1: I haven't seen all the performances that it was up against, so it was very very difficult. I don't. I do know in the supporting role category. I, I think you you know you had. Um, I can't remember the actress's name, but it was one of one of the actresses from Carrie was was in that role. Yes, it was the woman who played um, the mother,
0: and I don't remember the name, but uh, it was kind of her, Piper Laurie.
1: Piper Laurie, yep. correct. Uh, wow,
0: did you see what I just did? You even pulled fighting, that right out of here. my old man brain. Oh I my nailed it. Oh, my God. Uh, she was up against uh, Jodie Foster from Taxi Jody Driver. Jodie Foster
1: from Taxi Driver, which is is kind of, I haven't seen that that performance either. I am embarrassing myself with don't that. Don't
0: embarrass you. Don't embarrass you. That's what this podcast <laughs> is about. Right, don't, Colby? Don't, don't be stupid. This is what this podcast is about. Right, Colby? <laughs>
1: um, she, uh, 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 Marie uh, Christian uh, Barreau for Cousin Cousin. Uh, Talia Shire for Rocky for Best Actress. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's for Best Actress. Yeah. Never mind. Supporting that's, that's Role. Right. Um, Jane yeah. Jane Alexander for All the President's Men. Jodie for Taxi Driver and Lee Grant for Voyage to the Dam. Who? Faye Dunaway was also in that movie. Did you know that? I did. You did. Okay. Because
0: um, I because I, I, I did something this week that I don't typically do. It's called research.
1: Oh, yeah, well, I did too.
0: No, I I don't. Just not You, you do it. I don't. That's what I'm getting. Oh, at. that's why
1: I <laughs> Okay. Um, I, there's a couple of things, I think, because this is, this, not all satires are, are acted in the same way. Um, but I think the soullessness of this was something that both, um, Lumet, or, yeah, Lumet and Shefsky was really kind of going for in this whole thing. And, and this is one of those rare films where the screenwriter got final cut. So Jeske was on the set in the main light watching the actors all the time. And he even got into the smaller roles too because that one scene where Finch has been walking in the rain in his pajamas and his trench coat rambling and crazy rants and all the way into the studio... And he's rambling into the studio, and he's soaking wet, and he looks like hell. And in the first take, the security guard, the guy who was playing the security guard at the door, kind of gave him this look like, oh, my God. You know, what, What? why, you know? <laughs> why does this man look this way? And Chevsky went up to him and said, this is TV. This should not phase you. So that's the performance that you got. You know, Good evening, mister.
0: <laughs> you know. Nice.
1: So, and it, it makes it that much more funny. Um, I think that Lumet was, and Anchevsky were going for something a little less, this is acting, right? You're not getting a depth of performance. You're getting, you're barely scratching the surface in most cases. So, and I think that might be harder because one of the things that, um, you know, we ta- the, they talked about it on Unspooled, um, and it is in Lumet's, uh, one of Lemay's books about making movies, where he talked to Faye Dunaway and said, don't look for her weakness. Don't look for her weakness, she doesn't have any. Right. Um, the other thing that I had heard was when he was, because Lumet was infamous for, being prepared and preparing as actors and before they even began shooting they had booked space in this hotel and they had blocked out what the rooms were going to look like when they were doing the filming and the actors were blocked and they knew their lines and they had to know their lines and they had to do their lines exactly as Chekhov wrote them so it was almost like preparing for a theater and um In fact, Holden commented that he felt like a real actor after that because he had never done any theater, and that was as close as he came. Um, So everybody was prepared, which gave them freedom to kind of explore doing different things while they were acting. But during the one scene where um, Max and Diana are having a conversation, and he's saying to her, if you're going to be in this, be in this with me, primal doubts and all. And he noticed that during the rehearsals, Holden was looking everywhere except directly into Faye Dunaway's eyes. And he didn't correct it, he just noted it. And they did one take and he pulled William Holden aside and he said to him, in this take, I want you to lock into her eyes and don't go anywhere else really look at her while you're talking to her. And then he pulled Donaway aside and said, in this scene, I want you to really try to understand what he's saying. And that's the one part in this movie where you really kind of get a little bit of weakness from Diane. Um, Because she's trying to understand what he means and she wants to understand what she means, she just can't because she's incapable.
0: Right. So, (laughs) (laughs) Do, do you think that they justified the awards?
1: I I think they did. I mean, you know, you had Talia Shire for best actress, and I never thought that Talia Shire had much oomph into her performances anyway. I've only seen her in Rocky and the Rocky And Godfather goes And in Godfather, yeah. I was getting there. Um and she's she's kind of one note in, in my book. Um sorry, Talia. Um She's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you don't know that. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, think Faye Dunaway.
0: I think Faye Dunaway deserved it because you watch. If you watch her performance now, it's not that bad. Meaning, it's not that evil. She doesn't come off as, a, as if you watch that movie today. That's not an evil person. That's a business person. We all we all equate what she was in that movie to somebody that goes to a corporation that's going to make a lot of money.
1: That brings, an interest, brings up an interesting question. I'll let you finish what you're saying, but w- we'll go back.
0: We're going to go back to me or we're going to go back to you? Go
1: back to finish what you're saying.
0: Okay. In 1976, that was cold-blooded. What she did was cold-blooded. People didn't use people like that as often. Of course, it happened. I don't know about the other actors. I, 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 thought that, I, thought that, I actually thought that uh, Holden was better than Finch. I, per- I personally believe that Holden's performance was better than Finch because Finch just kind of, even though he kind of played a madman, he didn't play a madman. He wasn't, you, you, I don't, you're probably not going to follow where I'm going there. I, I don't know if his death affected the fact that he won it because he did die, He did receive the reward award posthumously. I, I don't, I have seen most of the other performances. Uh, Faye Dunaway deserved it. Um, I mean, that Holden and Finch were up against I think they were up against De Niro. <coughs> Excuse me, pardon me. They and I th- and they were up against Sylvester Stallone, who, you know, I mean, did mm-hmm. he? Did, was he great in Rocky? Yeah, was it a great acting performance? <laughs> eh, probably not. I think the one that did get slighted probably was Ned Beatty.
1: Ned Beatty was. Um, Ned Beatty
0: changed the tone of that movie. He changed the tone of that movie and showed up and became the ultimate ultimate bad guy in that movie.
1: He was up against Jason Robards, um, who won for all the presidents men. Yeah. Um, Burgess Meredith for Rocky, Burt Young for Rocky, and Lawrence Olivier in Marathon Man.
0: Yeah. Now, no Burt um, no, Young, no, absolutely not. But Burgess Meredith and Rocky.
1: That's well, a
0: hard. That's a hard choice. I'm glad I didn't have to make L- that Lawrence decision.
1: Olivier and Marathon Man too was. Oh. That was that was a real talk, small I don't role, want, I don't but talk it, about that movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know nobody wants to talk about that scene um and, and it's good that you brought brought up Ned Beatty because you're talking about, you know, Diane not being evil. Um, that, you know, that begs the question. I mean, ultimately, yeah, she was evil. The, it, most of the people in that movie were evil. They they said, "Okay, we're going to kill this man and we don't care, you know, all we care about is how it's going to impact our bottom line." So that is evil. So I don't think necessarily evil is a choice. I think she doesn't play it as a villain with a master plan. She's just, she's like the shark in Jaws. She just keeps going. She's, there's no premeditation other than the fact that I'm trying to get to where I'm going.
0: His name is Bruce.
1: His, well, that was, they didn't call the shark Bruce in the movie. That but, was the. But
0: Steven <laughs> called him Bruce. So we'll call him Bruce.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was his set name was Bruce.
0: <laughs> yeah, people didn't like Bruce either because he always broke down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hence, no, you're, you're right. Hence
0: the episode of Bob's Burgers. You're, you're, you're right. You're right. What you're saying there, but what I'm saying is, is in 1976 that was evil. Mm-hmm. In 1996, and 2016, and 2019, that's just the typical CEO of a business.
1: And who? Yeah, and they say that most CEOs are. You know, a little bit narcissistic and may not be a little bit psychopathic, but
0: like Faye Dunaway. Oh no, uh, okay, sorry.
1: But Ned Beatty's performance—we're uh, going to talk about that. That was, you know, early shades of Gordon Gecko. That was early shades of uh, Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary Gunn Ross. That that it really was. set the tone. I mean, he was amazing and just phenomenal. I, I like. I like Ned Beatty in Superman. I mean, <laughs> yeah,
0: he was great. That's what I'm saying. He doesn't he, even when he has a, a bad role in a bad movie. You he doesn't disappoint. You can't fault an actor in a movie that is shit. Mm-hmm. You can't because they they are not in control of everything. Mm-hmm. They they sign on to take that movie, and they take that part, and they show up to the movie. And you know, I mean, is Emilio Estevez a horrible, horrible actor? No, he's acceptable. Is Maximum Overdrive a pile of garbage? Of course it is, because Stephen Spe- or Stephen King was on cocaine for six months. The movie was garbage. But you you show up and you do the sh- you do your job. You can be good in a bad movie. You can, and and that is that is Ned Beatty to a T. Every role he has, he's good at it. it you 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 uh, believe what he's doing. That to me is a good actor, not being in big movies.
1: And he was up against it too because he was a last minute substitution. Last,
0: um, yeah, last minute, absolutely. Last
1: minute substitution. They flew him in. He had four pages of that entire diatribe to memorize because, again, Szefsky was on the set. He was not going to accept any substitutions for his writing. His writing was going to be word for word, word for word, the way he wrote it.
0: My favorite part of that whole... Did I cut you off?
1: Um, you can continue. This is a conversation, after all.
0: My favorite part of that whole diatribe that he goes through is he's, you have meddled! He does that whole thing. And then at the end, he goes, you know, <laughs> what, you know you where I'm coming from?
1: And will atone. And at
0: the end, he goes, hey, you know where I'm coming from? It just instantly, just right back to a normal right. person. You're like, okay, that's solid.
1: And it's, and it's a great... Um, <laughs> It's it's fantastic, and he really brought the Shakespeare, you know, because he approached it like Shakespeare. So his his movements were big, his his voice was big. The other thing, because you know, you talk about Peter Finch, one of my favorite scenes in the film is that scene, and, and not necessarily a hundred percent for Beatty, but it is for Finch, because when they shoot to him, his face is in close up all the time. And he reminds me of this little child that is being chastised. He's there staring with the big eyes, looking just incredulously. Super
0: close up, not yeah. lit in dark. And then you see Ned Beatty, and it's a wide shot with all this angelic lighting behind him. And just, mm-hmm. you're no, you're right. It, and, and, and to and be that, honest with you, that's what it was. He was a small child being chastised by daddy.
1: He was, but it also it was a matter of like I've seen the face of God. So he's kind of straddling this line between looking like this young innocent, and then being completely mesmerized by whatever it is that that, that Beatty is saying. As far as the there is no, and they almost they were almost filmed that scene in the, in one of the rooms in the United Nations, and the reason the United Nations turned them down was because of the fact saying there is no democracy there is no nationalities when they were talking about it being the corporation now and he uses the word you'll notice in this film that ecumenical becomes the keyword that a lot of people use Beatty uses it in his as well where it's because they want, I think they were probably looking more for symbiotic. Because ecumenical means all these religions coming together, Christianity coming together, which is kind of an odd choice. But I think they were trying to parallel the Simbani's Liberation Army. Um, so the United Nations had a real problem with the script, so that's why they moved it to the New York Library, public library. They're very limited as to what they could use for lighting, so most of that scene was done with natural lighting.
0: Yeah, they were told they couldn't bring in any extra lighting. And um, I think the, the, the director of photography convinced them to let him use one light mm-hmm. so he could backlight Ned Beatty to make him look that much more yeah. imposing, yeah. Which, is, which is pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, it was definitely that. But you know, back to what we were saying, I, thi- I think Finch did earn that because I think there was a lot that he could make you feel during this movie. Because really, he was the only character that you really were concerned about in this film.
0: Yes, he was. He absolutely was. You didn't really. I had no. I had no ties to anybody else in the in the movie. You're right. So, in 1976, Network finished 19th in money. It made uh, it made 23 million six hundred eighty nine. Thousand dollars, which is pretty good for a for a nineteen seventy six movie. Number one was Rocky. It made one hundred and seventeen million dollars. The only movie in nineteen seventy six that made over a hundred million dollars.
1: Well, that's it because they had that snappy song that everybody was playing on the radio.
0: Oh yeah, Family Stone. <laughs> Some of the <laughs> movies that came out this year, nineteen seventy six was a solid year for movies. I could just run down the list here. Um. Logan's Run, Carrie, Outlaw Josie Wales, Marathon Man, Taxi Driver, The Pink Panther Strikes Again, Bad News Bears, The Enforcer, which, you know, not a great movie, but it was Dirty Harry, so there you go. The Omen, All the President's Men, Silver Streak, King Kong, A Star is Born, Rocky. It, it, It did very well in a year that had very good movies. I wonder if some of the nominations that it got weren't because the i know that this usually does go hand in hand I, it, it's a highly accepted film from critics and that's typically where your nominations come from back especially back in the day so i i i was not overwhelmed with the acting in the movie i thought everybody was really good I thought everybody was acceptable but i didn't see I didn't see it to be the end-all, be-all. And we talked about it earlier. This is the second movie to have gotten three best actor uh, wins. Actor wins. Because you had best supporting actress, best actor, best actress. The first one was Streetcar Named Desire. and We all know that movie. So mm-hmm. I don't think I have anything else. Do you?
1: Well, I one of the things... Um, and I'll call this segment I have questions okay um, and this is basically because w- when we watch a movie we all have these moments of where our suspension of disbelief has kind of been cut into Um. for you I know because you are an electrician if it has anything to do with electrical you're automatically going wait a minute um, so yeah, the,
0: the lights in that Halloween movie we watched last night they would not act like that sorry <laughs> Sorry, Mr. McBride. I call bullshit.
1: Yeah, so mine, um, and, and this is just really part and parcel to how we live our lives today. In the scene where Peter Finch is going on and on about, I've just learned that our parent company, CCA, is going to merge with this Saudi Arabian company, and he starts going off on his little rant about everything he's found out. The only thing that I could think about is, how how did he learn all of that so quickly without the internet? It was 1976. You you really had to do your research. So where did he get this information? He had
0: to know somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it is it a is it a private tip? Is it something he overheard yeah. in the office? Did Jesus really speak to him?
1: Maybe, maybe that's,
0: that's a good question. That's a really good question.
1: That's the well. That was just in me thinking in today's modern terms. And and here's my question for you. Um, I think this, I mean, the, obviously there are, are a great many satires that are beloved, um, and, and honored and, and, and respected, uh, Dr. Love being one of them. Um, in terms of a satire, I think this kind of opens the door to some of our more modern day satires, like, um, Idiocracy and, and, and things like that. How do you feel this measures up to today? I mean, because a lot of people are pointing to this movie saying all the craziness that's happening today can, you know, really strikes a tone. If you watch this movie, you think about all the craziness that's going on today. But in terms of other movies that you've seen, do you really think that this holds up?
0: It holds up. It, it's, it, it is what the news became. Like I said earlier, when we were children, our parents watched the news. You had to because you didn't have the Internet. You had to sit down at 6 o'clock every night. You watched your local news, and then at six thirties you had the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite or I don't even remember the other people that they were there. You had to watch that because that's how you found out. It was that or the newspaper the next day. Now you don't have to do that. Now you pick up your phone and you find out what Carl – in Afghanistan had for his mid-morning breakfast. It's, it's, it's a complete different situation. And in that drive to compete and keep the news relevant, they've had to sensationalize it. They've had to show increasingly more and more ridiculous things to get people to watch them, increasingly more and more violent things to get people to watch them. You have stations like Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and ESPN and all of these stations that are making twenty four hours of news out of twenty minutes of, of content. And they talk about it and they talk about it and they talk about it and they give you their opinions and they tell you what's gonna lead to and what what what, well, what would happen if he'd have turned left instead of right, no and, and it's it's nuts and it's all about it's all about ratings. It's all about making people watch so that they can put commercials on, sell that, and sell that revenue. And this is 100%. This, this movie is 100% what happened. Ned Beatty t- told him, "You have messed with the primal forces of nature because essentially what he said was, "You are fucking with my money. That's what he said. If you wanted to, if you wanted to break that down and, and interpret that, and that's what it's turned into. TV stations are all about it. Uh, all of them. Whether it's a sports station or the money that's paid to, to to broadcast sports games or the money that actors are making so that they have a TV show on that we can advertise during. It's all about that. And it's sensationalized to, to the nth degree. And, I mean, if you really want to get down to it, it started in the early 80s with the types of television shows that they had on and and it just went. It went. Well, further with cable news, you when, had to and, fill that time. That's right. And with cable kicking in, and now, now with cable, you could put stuff on cable that you couldn't put on regular TV. So now there was swearing, and now there was nudity, and and all of that. It, it and it and it was the machine driving to get that pile of cash. No different than the young lady that said, "You are not going to fuck with my distribution." And distribution. Costs. It, it was all about. It's all. It was all about the money. It, it was all about the money. And there was a time in this country when it wasn't like that. And I think that that mid seventies era was when a lot of this changed because of the the way that our country was. We had we had racial tensions. We had uh, sexual tensions. And I don't mean like with sex. I mean like between men and women. We had um, people that started to think freer and open up. We were coming. We were coming out of Vietnam. Um, Drug use was significantly more accepted by a lot more people than it was at 10 years. Everything was changing, and it drove our country to where we are now. And essentially, it drove the world to where we are now, because whether you're a communist country or a socialist country, everybody's about making money. It's all about making money, and that's what this that's what this shows. That's what this movie shows. And, and it's almost like you were visiting a soothsayer, and they said, hey, guess what? In 40 years, that, that's what happened. That is really what right. happened, and, it, and, it, and it, was, it, it was visionary.
1: And it got crazier and crazier, I think, with each each d- decade because, or because you had MTV, and then okay, now MTV has gotten people wanting smaller, easier, more digestible chunks of information. You got to make it short. You got to make it powerful. You need to make it entertaining. And then into you know the age of social media. When was the last time you found out about? A celebrity death that wasn't on Facebook or Twitter.
0: Uh, I mean, that's when was the last time you watched the news?
1: Good question. Yeah, there you Probably go. Probably waiting in an airport yeah, somewhere. There, there you go. Yeah. Exactly.
0: You're sitting in a doctor's office, and it's the only thing on, and you, you well, you'd rather put an ice pick in your ear.
1: <laughs> but not but not even that. Now you sit in a doctor's office, and what are you watching? You're watching a corporately sponsored information show about health. That with too. people's commercials in it. It's it is that's you know, everything is so specialized.
0: And it's and it's sensationalized. You go on Facebook and you see well, I mean, what's the big video of the week? Two guys fighting. Seriously? I mean, Emma, you know, not I, in our house. Like not in our house. It's cats in our house. Yeah, but. I was gonna
1: say I like to watch <laughs> the ones about the kitties. Um so before we wrap up, this this movie is is funny. And that's I think that's the thing what I walked away with was I forgot how damn funny this film was, um, and they are great, great moments and memorable lines. What were your top three funny moments in this movie? Number
0: one is when she's talking about "you're not gonna fuck with my distributions." Um, I think number two would probably, probably be Ned Beatty going, "You know what I'm saying?" Going, coming, coming down out of a thirty-eight thousand decibel coming down off the mountain Yeah. (laughs) hey so 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 we're good we're good here um the third one would probably be the sex scene
1: the sex scene i mean
0: i mean that's those are the ones that stand out what about you
1: um mine are um when they're going over the potential um tv programs to look at and you've got Concella uh, um, that, that you would know from uh, Two and a Half men, and men as as Berta
0: and Mr. Deeds.
1: She was in Mr. Deeds. Yeah. Yes, she was in Mr. Deeds. Um, she's reading all these synopsis. Uh, is it synopsis or synopsis? Is it? <laughs> I think it's I think it's
0: like the plural of moose, which is meese.
1: <laughs> she's reading all these plot summaries um, of these these shows that are being pitched, and every single one of them begins with. A crusty but benign news reporter, a crusty but benign cop.
0: Well, that was seventies,
1: and, and it was it was because you th- because let's go back to m- Mary Tyler Moore. You've got the crusty but benign, you know, Ed in... in Ted Knight, yep, and and all that. I but mean,
0: in the seventies, look at the shows that were on: Rockford Files, mm-hmm. Hawaii Five O, uh, yeah. all 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 of that stuff.
1: Yeah, I, but you know you hear that enough, crusty but benign. It just makes me send, think of some kind of skin growth.
0: Yeah, or a really, really bad loaf of bread. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's crusty, but benign. We can we can have it removed next Thursday. Yeah, that was funny. um My my other is um, when we talked about that scene where where um, Howard Beale is wet and ranting and in his pajamas and 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 walking through the lobby so he can get to record his TV show, and the security guards like, "How are you doing tonight, Mister Beale?" I must make my witness. Have a good night, Mr. Beale. That was funny. That yes, was that was, that very was good. funny because of the lack of reaction yes. and you know good good on Patty Shafsky for for making that correction. Um and and I think right up right up with with the sex scene. Just simply because it that had to be I, I wish I I wish somebody would ask Molly Shannon that if that was really inspired oh, by of that. Course, of course that it was. Scene.
0: Of course it was. I mean, you know there's nods good writers pull jokes from references and there's, there's a ton in this movie to pull from. You know, one of my other lines that I should have added was at the beginning when she's got them all in her office and she says, Oh, and by the way, the next time that I give you a uh, synopsis to read, you better, or I'm going to sack the fucking lot of you. Yes. And it was just like, where'd that come? What, what just happened
1: here? I don't want to have to play the, yeah. All right. So would you watch this again? Um, I would watch this again. Um, I don't think I'd, I'd, Run back out and, and you know, m- warm up Amazon Prime and, and, and watch it right now. But I think I'd definitely watch it again in the future.
0: I think I'd probably only watch this again if it was on. It's not something that I would sit down to watch. If I came home and you were watching it, I'd watch it. You know, I, it's, not, it's not something I'm going to put on in the office for background noise when I'm working, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it's definitely not a background noise movie. I think if I were to watch it again, I really am probably going to be watching the performances a little bit more closely um, and really trying to figure out the, the depths of it and and may, maybe appreciate you know Bobby Duvall in it a little bit more. I, I kind of feel like it's such a small role for him, and, and even though he's fantastic in everything he does, he's not, he's not breakout in this like the other
0: no, he's not. But he, I, I think, a, a portion of that would probably be someone like Sydney or Patty going, you know, you're not the main character here. We know you're a big name. We know you were in The Godfather. We know you were in Twelve Angry Men. But you're you're kind of a supporting character here. So dial it back a little bit and be the character. Um, I would recommend this to anybody who hasn't seen it. It is it is it's on the top 100 AFI uh, for a reason. I think it's 62 or 64 or something like that. I believe Some, somewhere yeah, in there, I believe it's, it's, it's in that range. It's it's definitely worth watching. It's, it's definitely worth watching. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's 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 one of several Lume films um, in it. I, um, you know, Shevsky's This was probably the biggest film that he had. Um, he won, obviously, best original screenplay for this. Yes, he did. Um, and it, he he's the only screenwriter to have won this award three times. Without having a co uh, a co writer, uh, the hospital, which I really do want to check out, and it is on Amazon Prime. Oh yay! Um, what I'm do you mean? Oh yay! Super stoked. <laughs> 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 so the hospital is uh, it's another satirical film. There's a surprise, um, and it stars Joyce Scott um, about a, a doctor who is at a teaching hospital that is um, in extreme disarray, and he's you know, trying to hold it together.
0: So Patch Adams, okay.
1: Uh, not necessarily Patch Adams. I think it's darker. Well, I never saw Patch Adams. Is Patch Adams dark?
0: I, I don't know. I never wa- I watched it, but I didn't pay attention to it.
1: Okay. Uh, and the other one he won for is Marty, um, which is a 1950 fair, uh, 1950 fair. Yeah. Ooh. 1955 American romantic drama. That's supposed
0: to be very good. I've it heard a lot of people be, talk yeah. about that it's very good.
1: It's supposed to be really really good. Um so, you know, that that's something that is is absolutely amazing. So I think I I like the kind of films where you can kind of get lost in the dialogue and and I think that this one is is one you could probably.
0: If you want a film that you can get lost in the dialogue, uh Transformers Dark Side of the Moon. It's got some it's got I heard some it yeah, it's riveting. Really, really good writing.
1: Riveting. Move over Shakespeare. So let's get back to why I had you watch this film in the first place and talk about the shades of this movie that you can see in Todd Phillips' The Joker.
0: Well, uh, one of the movies apparently that gets a lot of Comparison to the Joker is the uh, King of Comedy, which I have not seen, but I would like to see.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen it too. I'm um, I'm ashamed to admit that one.
0: Well, I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it. It just I mean it's an old movie. Uh, I, I get apparently there's a lot of shades of Taxi Driver a, in it as well. Definitely. Having seen Network, the part of Network to me that is seen the most in Joker is the second half of the third act, and it's the Robert De Niro character deciding he's going to take the Joker character as the comic. And use him for his ratings. He brings him on. He knows the guy isn't funny. He knows the guy is probably not stable. He knows there's an issue there. And he's going to use and abuse him to get ratings for his night show. Uh, Ironically, the twist there is that the guy that's being used isn't the one who gets killed. Right. But that is where I see that coming from. I see uh, the person. You know what? Not even just the second half of the third act. The Joker character wants to be seen, he wants to be acknowledged, he wants to be loved, and that's no different than the Frank Beal character, because he's a newsman, and as soon as he finds out, he's going to be fired. Now it's, well, what do I got to do to make people notice me anymore? I've I've lost my value. I'm willing to kill myself so that people will still acknowledge that I exist, which is really the road that Joker was going down until he got pissed off on the stage. Sorry about spoilers on that, but... By the time you see this, if you've wanted to see Joker, you will have seen it. So that's, that's where I see it.
1: That's a, an interesting point, because when you said that, um, a lot of people that I've listened to, a lot of other podcasts, um, I think Mike, Mike and Oscar was one of them, and I, if I got it wrong, I apologize to the other podcaster who, who, who brought this up, was Mark Marin's role as this assistant or this producer for the Robert De Niro character. It's very small and you have to wonder if it was a little bit longer. Because I'm sure there
0: were scenes that were cut. Yeah, and, and
1: Mark Mark so Mark Marin's trying to be the voice of reason here. Do you really want this crazy man on your show?
0: And I'm gonna tell you why I'm sure it was cut. The big one is money, because they're not gonna get Mark Maron to come in and do five lines yeah. for what they're gonna have to make Mark Maron, especially now that he's blowing up as an actor and not a comedian or a or a podcaster with, with his work on Glow and, and all the other shows that he's on now. It took me a second to realize that was Mark Maron. I saw the face, and I'm like, "Oh my God, I know who that is!" And then afterwards, I'm like, oh, it was Mark Maron." You're right. I think Mark Maron was the Max character in this a lot, a lot of the lines. Like, now you know you don't want him on there. You really don't want to do this. Oh yeah, or you know Robert De Niro. Oh yeah, sure I do. It'll be fine. Don't sweat it. Yeah, worked out really well for you, buddy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the other thing that is like a straight pull out of network, obviously, is after the Joker shoots the robert de niro character and he walks up to the camera and they cut away all of a sudden you see all these screens that are suddenly changing to the news that this man has been killed on the air yeah um which is straight out of network now network only had four screens because there were only four networks right because they talk about cbs abc and nbc and ubs was supposed to be the fourth the network fourth,
0: when there was an actuality only three right abc cbs nbc right
1: which now that I saw that for the second time and I watched the ending a second time um and I'm thinking to myself we're really stretching it here and we're really kind of trying to modernize it for this audience because even though Joker was supposed to be set in that time frame early 80s late 70s there weren't still a whole lot of networks on it but you had like at least 20 screens up there
0: yeah I'm good well there's a lot of Joker was a fantastic movie but there's a lot of things in Joker that don't that would not happen and not to get off on a tangent number one is uh, Murray would have never been killed on live TV because we all know that night late night talk shows are filmed at four o'clock in the afternoon correct you know so there's it, and it's a plot device and it's one of those situations where you just have to suspend your disbelief yeah and even uh, agreed. even
1: though it wasn't pre-recorded they wouldn't show they, it and, it, and, right. and they never right. would have showed it right the news exactly. would have been
0: that he'd have been killed on the studio blah 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 uh, I do believe that Joker was meant to take place about the same time as Network. I, I don't. I, that was definitely uh, late '70s vibe of of New York, uh, Gotham, of of that type of era. From the cars to the to the to the clothes that people were wearing, things like that. I think that's where he he hasn't specifically said it, but so that was the other feel that you get from Network is it was that same time of strife where. We had the same things going on. The country was in a recession. The garbage strike. All that happiness was going on. That's where I see network at. Just it, it, that's me.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's that's kind of what I was. Because even when there were, they only had two trailers for Joker, and that was the only thing that I watched prior to seeing this movie. And you know me, I will listen to film analysis to death. Yeah.
0: See, you and I are the exact opposite. There, I yeah. don't. I don't like trailers. Yeah. I, I feel like. I feel like trailers either ruin the movie for you, or they lead you down a path that you don't want to be led down, so that you can, uh, and, and so that when you see the movie, you're disappointed. Which I'll bring up here in just a second when we talk about right. something else.
1: So you know, when I really want to see a film is when I don't want to hear about it. I right. don't want to hear. So when all our podcasting and you know, Potter and family of podcast and, and Colby and everything were was started talking about it because they went to go see the film early. I was like don't want to hear it. Don't right. want to hear it. Not going to listen to your podcast just yet.
0: Yeah, so anybody anybody that's a member of the Potter and family that's listening to this, make sure that you don't give any spoilers or stuff for Frozen 2 cuz Susan is stoked about it. I am not. <laughs> How can you not be stoked about Let Frozen it go. 2? Oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> that's nice. So funny. Yes, you
1: are. Um the other thing, oh I did I just ummed. I wasn't supposed to do that, Don't was worry I? About it. The other thing that I walked away from Joker from, and this is just this is me and my take on The Joker. I thought the Joker was a good film. Um but because there were so many shades of other films in it, and it was obvious, almost obvious. It wasn't homage, it was almost let's try to replicate it. It's not a scene-for-scene scene shot like that piece-of-shit remake of Psycho. You didn't like that? No. <laughs> but I just kind of felt like, is this as great a film as everybody's thinking it is? Because isn't he just ripping off other films?
0: I don't think he's ripping off other films. I think in his mind he might be paying homage to other films. But when you take, when you take uh, a movie like The Joker... You have to have something in it that people because gonna ma- want to make people see it because you know what's, ha- what's going to happen. You know he's not going to at the end go, oh, you know what? I really shouldn't be a bad guy. It's called Joker. He's going to be a bad guy. People right. are going to die. I think that this is a guy who saw an opportunity with a script to make an Oscar grab. And he has taken elements from Oscar winners and Oscar nominated movies and incorporated those so that you get that same feel. So not only do you get the box office success which is critical to maintain your career which at last check I think was 370 million worldwide you also are going to get the critical success cuz you're going to they're going to be like oh look at the shades of this he used and look at how he did this and they're not going to say yeah he did what network did they're going to say look at what he did and ripping off m- might be the right word Combining or metamorphosing those movies into one movie might be the right word. But to me, this is even though it's a great movie, it covers his ass with the with the company because he's making money, and it covers his ass so he can say, Oh, hey, guess what? Now you gotta pay me more because I directed an Oscar nominated movie.
1: I think And wrote and wrote. And wrote. And wrote. I think this is that this, well, I don't think that this is Todd Phillips' first drama. It is Todd Phillips' first drama, but I think that the fact that this is his first drama, it, it's a it's a very good attempt, and I did like the movie, so Don't at me uh, about my criticism of it.
0: You can like something and still have yeah with I,
1: it. yeah, and I kind of feel like okay, you've got all these. They it didn't feel like homage to me. It felt like. I'm gonna pull from this playbook, and I am going to make you think of Taxi Driver, and I'm gonna make you think of The King of Comedy, and I'm gonna make you think of Network, and then I'm gonna add this David Fincher-esque, unreliable narrator portion to it. It almost felt like I'm trying to cover, with very broad brushstrokes, the fact that this is my first drama, and I, I, I I do not, other than Joaquin Phoenix and his performance, I don't think that this is Oscar material. Kinda, it feels cheap that. to me. And and I'm not saying that the film wasn't good, because I did like it. I, I'd see it again, because there's a lot of things I think I missed, and I may, I may change my mind about it, but it just felt very patched together. And then you, then you add that unreliable reliable narrator aspect to it. And you then get, you know, you can cover up a multitude of sins.
0: Fair enough. And not only did he steal from the Taxi Driver vibe and then and the King of Comedy vibe, he stole the actor from Taxi Driver and King of Comedy.
1: Yeah, because if to you p- really p- wanted to... Yeah. <laughs> Let p- me p- evoke this by giving you the actor. Dun right. dun- 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 and Scorsese was involved of at some he point. He, he backed out, but... That's just... That's just how I feel about that film. I think it's really good. Um, I don't think it's Oscar worthy.
0: Well, it's probably going to get a nod because you have ten movies that get a nod, they get Oscar nominated now for Best Picture, and there really hasn't been a whole lot of other stuff this year that has gotten a lot of Oscar buzz. Now, granted, it's only October. They typically cram those down our throats the last three weeks of, of you know, December. But Best Picture by far away will probably be Rise of Skywalker. So we'll just go ahead and
1: do <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't bother you. What? Rise of Skywalker? Yeah, best picture. Best picture. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. Crickets.
0: Yeah, for sure. Crickets. Okay, so um, next week I get to pick the movie.
1: What you making me watch, honey?
0: Uh, we are going to do the director's cut. Of Suicide Squad.
1: Oh boy! Uh,
0: listen, Colby will back me up on this. So <laughs> if you guys know Colby, y- you can you can go ahead and talk talk to him. This movie got a lot of crap for a lot of reasons, and we're going to bring me back to my trailer issue. This movie was marketed as something that it was not, and when people went to watch it, they were pissed off that it was not what it was marketed as. This movie was marketed as Joker. And it's not. Th- th- this movie, If and, I, and now you need to watch a director's cut. Because I know the difference between the two. I've only seen the director's cut, but I know which scenes were not, which were not in the regular cut. I understand why people didn't like it. The director's cut is a, is a much better, more coherent movie. Is this an Oscar movie? No. Is this a movie that we're going to dissect the way we dissected this movie? No. But it's a much better movie than it gets credit for and i know that you like comic book movies cuz you've watched comic book movies with me and even though i am a marvel guy over dc this movie is not as bad as people make it out to be in fact it's much better than it gets credit for
1: this film is is not a film that i had any want to see um, you are welcome i uh huh
0: <laughs> we'll see we'll see okay we'll see You'll have problems with it. I have problems with it. But uh, but uh, what uh, my point is is that you're going to watch this and you're going to be like, "You know what? That really wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be."
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, I've been a little jaded because I'll listen to podcasts all day long or if I'm working from home, you know, I might have YouTube channels on in the background that have film analysis. So I've been I've been jaded a little bit in perspective by those that have talked about the Suicide Squad. So I'm going to have to put those preconceived notions aside. Yes, you are. Um, to listen to this, you're gonna, have, you're to gonna this. have to put your big
0: girl pants on, and you're gonna have to make up your own mind.
1: Well, I need depends. No,
0: but I'll are put on sure? my big girl pants too, and we'll get through it together. Oh, you yeah.
1: get, you look so cute in your big girl pants.
0: Well, they make my hips look big, but you know, other than that, everything's okay.
1: But you got a nice butt.
0: Oh, okay, that's not what people wanted to hear at all. <laughs> All right, so I think that that wraps it up.
1: I We hope that you enjoyed this. Um, we are just finding in our groove here, so you have to forgive us for any sins.
0: There were no sins. No? This was amazing. They're going to love us. We're going to rule the world. And They're going
1: to love much. your song. You want not you sing your song again?
0: I'm not singing my please, song again. No, if you, please. Go, you guys can go back to the beginning, you can you can <laughs> hear the song. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, if you would like to contact us, I am at GBishop72.
1: I am t5 ff underscored angel on Twitter and marketing angel on Instagram
0: and we have uh, obviously a contact uh, for the show we do
1: we do have a Twitter address it's at HoneyWatchThis this on Twitter and at honey this on Instagram and we do have a Facebook page as well so give us your thoughts we're 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 thick-skinned
0: yeah and um, you know we don't mind suggestions either because oh, definitely. Uh, I struggled to find something to, to for her to watch, and, and we still get to pick it, and we can still pick from the ones that we want. But yeah, let us know. Well uh, maybe you want to hear us, you know, talk about something. I don't know.
1: Well, th- I think that the, the the whole point of the show, honey, I- and you, like you said, you pulled so su- Suicide Squad on me. I knew you were going to have to do that at some point. Um, just like you know, when Christmas rolls around, oh boy, are you in for it? Um, but. You know, and this is not a a tit for tat kind of thing. This is just us trying to understand what people, what what the other likes about in certain movies, and it it, it's an interesting experiment. Um, What we are also going to try to do is maybe once a month have you know uh, some other of our film Twitter uh, podcast hosts come on, and they pick a movie for us to watch. Um, So we both get the the whammy.
0: Yeah, that would big
1: um, money. No whammies.
0: <laughs> I loved that show as a kid. All right, so I think that we should wrap it up. I think that we had a good time. I had a good time. Thank you for doing this with me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully you listened all the way through. You didn't turn turn it off after hearing my ignorance after 15 minutes. I am not the smart one on this show, just so that you guys know.
1: That is bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. I call bullshit. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks thank for listening. You. We'll see you next Thanks. week. Thanks.
0: Watch Suicide the Director's Cut so that you can... Follow along with us. Follow
1: along with my pain.